Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, with me as always is Vince, and tonight we have a special guest host sitting in for Zach, who is still on leave. We have a friend of the show, Walter Richardson. Hi, Walt. Howdy. Thanks for coming back. Of course. Any, well, I don't want to say any time, but <laughs> every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Periodically. <laughs> Periodically, from time to time. Yeah. Wait, so this isn't... Walt's audition for replacing Zach. I thought I'm getting mixed messages here. I don't want to speak for Walt, but I can think of almost nothing Walt would rather do less than talk <laughs> to you and me every week about DC Comics. If it was like every month, I'd, I'd consider it. Every week, it, it's and it's the DC. It's not you guys. It's the DC Comics. Sure, yeah. sure. You tell all the boys that. I understand. I do. <laughs> well, uh, without any further ado, let's get into it. This week, there were six books, which is, I think, the most we've had in Infinite Frontier thus far. Um, so we'll start, at, as Vince's preference is always, at, at A, Action Comics. Action Comics 1030, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Daniel Sampier. This is the beginning of the War World Rising storyline and i guess this is actually a good time to pause before we get to the actual issue and just talk about the big changes that are coming to the superman line over the summer so the action comics book will stay with clark kent will be war world focused there will be a new superman title called superman son of kal-el which will um feature jonathan kent in the lead written by tom taylor illustrated by john timms and uh there will also be a four issue superman and the authority miniseries by Grant Morrison and Michael Janine. And uh, we had heard about that one a while back, but it was never officially confirmed, but now it is confirmed. Um, Walt, are you at all excited about these changes to the Superman books, or do you like the status quo the way it is right now? I'd say I'm, I'm pretty excited for it, and I, and I think we'll get into that when we talk about action specifically. Um, but, you know, first of all, Grant Morrison you know, writing Superman, yes, always. Any any time, I will be excited for that. Um, and you know, I I think that the upcoming status quo, which we're kind of getting our start with now, is uh, more interesting than what was going on with Bendis. In in some ways, I feel this is kind of the inverse of what was happening under Bendis when he was doing Action Superman and Legion, where you had you know. There was, there was, you know, obviously like the League of Planets stuff, you know, Superman was out in space a lot, but there was like kind of like a feeling of distancing John. Um, you know, he was off on his own in the future and we're kind of getting the reverse of that here. It looks like where John's going to be the Superman who is like got the most like is the most public facing while Clark is up in space and world world and wherever else. And I think that is a more interesting dynamic. And I think I think it's more of a I think it's more palatable. I know a lot of people who liked Jonathan Kent, you know, under Tomasi uh, really hated what Bendis did um, with just kind of like it's one of those things where I get it. I don't necessarily agree, but I get why some people felt like, oh, Bendis just doesn't know what to do with him. So he's shunting him away. Where it's like, if that was the case, then he wouldn't be the one writing the Legion book. Right. But I get why people felt that way. And so I think this is, I think it's more, a more interesting dynamic. And I think it's better for both characters. 
I, I agree with that. Uh, what about you, Vince? Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Although I I never had a problem with the with the aging up thing. Um, I just think you know, if 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 you use the character you have properly, it's 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 all gonna work out. And I think that that's that we're seeing that with this. You know, like this is a uh, a perfectly good use of a slightly older John character. And to be honest, when he and Damien are sitting around and eating. Uh, lunch or whatever with one another in this issue like to to me they just like slide right back into that friendship relationship it doesn't matter that john's a little older to me anyway you know i i, I understand yeah. others might feel it, see it differently but you know to, to yeah to me it just is like sliding into a, a perfect fit you know um i think this issue is infinitely more interesting than the stuff that philip kennedy johnson had done in the run up to this that we've kind of you know we've talked about on this show that that the superman books surprisingly were like probably my least favorite of infinite frontier uh to this point and i liked this issue quite a bit um because I feel like they're finally getting to the point that was promised uh, when this all started. So, yeah, I, I, I like this issue a lot. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I thought this issue was good. I, I do want to say one thing about the sort of status quo before we get into the issue particular, the upcoming status quo. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Which is, I, I'm really interested in what Grant Morrison's role is going to be in this. Because I think it's... I mean, look, if they just called up and were like, hey, Grant, you want to write a four-issue Superman and the Authority series? And he and they said, like, you know, dope. And then that's how it happened. That's great. But I feel like you don't call up someone like Morrison to just do four issues. So I wonder if this is going to be – they've already said that, you know – DC has said, rather, that this is going to impact action comics going forward. But I wonder if something from this will spin off into something new for Grant to do. Do you guys get that impression at all, or do you do you see this as like a simply a four issue thing? It just seems like it's odd to bring in Grant Morrison to just do this weird little tie in series. I, I get I get why you feel that way, but I, I mean they brought in uh, Morrison for the like uh, I forget was it the original metal or the death metal tie ins or the, that one shot. Um, and oh yeah, know, that was the original metal. Yeah, the, yeah. the wild the original metal. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know they did they did something similar there and you know i i i feel like it'll probably just be its own little thing um i i don't really see it spitting out into anything more just looking at conceptually you know when the first issue comes out that'll be like the real telling thing sure. i think um but for now like i don't really get any particular feel that this is actually going to like be setting up something else for morrison to do or not well, here, here's why I think that. I think that DC was very happy with letting Wildstorm characters exist in the Warren Ellis Wild Zone, Wildstorm Zone over there, like this this little imprint that was going to do its own thing. Wild things. Zone. I, I, I meant the, the Wildstorm <laughs> Zone, but Wild Zone is way better. They should have called that imprint the Wild Zone. I'm very mad they didn't now. Along with Jeff Johns' Killing Zone, the which still has not zone. happened. Um, oh, boy. Will not, ever. <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, but anyway, not so good. I feel like once not. Warren Ellis was a persona non grata at DC, 
they want to bring those I think they recognize there's value in publishing those characters. And so what better way to bring them into the DC fold again than to have one of their most successful writers take those characters and also to pair it with their literal most successful character, save Batman, right? It just seems to me like if you want to bring the Wildstorm characters, the authority back into DC, this is the way you do it big. I don't know if Morrison's going to be writing a monthly comic, but I could sort of see their role being that of like the the shepherd of those characters. That, that I think, I think that's a good point. Um, I hadn't I hadn't considered it in that context uh, with the Wild Storm imprint and Wild all Storm. that. That yeah, sorry, sorry, of course. Um, now that you say that, I th- I think it's. Here's what I'll say. I think whether or not Morrison is significantly involved, it's definitely going to be a launching point for other things. I think that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether or not Morrison's involved, and eh, I'm, I'm not so sure either way. All right. Well, in terms of this issue in particular, I'm I'm with Vince. I think that this was a much more interesting issue for a couple of reasons. I really liked the shift in perspective that we got with both John and Lois having sections in this book. Um, Lois being in the library of Candor was, it was a pretty nice touch. I didn't see that coming. I couldn't figure out sort of what she, yeah. was, what she was doing, but that was a nice little touch to have her there. And Vincey, you said it. I, I think that the John Damien friendship came through really nicely here. I think it felt accurate to who both of them are and it was a bit of a throwback to the the tomasi era of those characters being together Uh, we say that i don't even i don't think it's out yet in print but tomasi is definitely doing that other uh super sun series that launches i think next month maybe in print the digit the digital first one one. yeah yeah the digital first one yeah yeah i totally forgot about that until today um well what did you think of this issue I, I agree with what Vince was saying. This felt like a significant step up from the two issues of Superman and the one issue of action we had so far. And I think knowing what we know about the Superman books going forward makes all that make so much more sense in the dumb way that only like American comics publishing can in that clearly what what was happening was that you know, the Superman son of Kal-El, you know, that's that's becoming the new book that's taking the place of the book called Superman. But even after even though they just had future state for whatever reason, DC's like, no, we can't not have a few months without the book called Superman. So Johnson, can you like do a few issues of that before we shift it over? Um, And so I think that's why we get this three parter that doesn't feel very inspired. That's why we get that two-parter crossover which uh you know felt like i I agree with what you guys said when you guys talked about that it really felt like it should have just been one issue and you know now i wouldn't even be surprised to find out if it was originally written that way Mm -hmm. and now i feel we're getting into the stuff that this is what uh johnson wants to do it feels much more confident it feels much more purposeful uh i i thought this was significantly better than the other issues i think it also bodes well for 
what his war world story and i hate saying that phrase there's too many w's it gets, gets mush in my mouth but i feel like the war world story that he's telling initially kind of felt like just any other mongol story we've gotten over the last you know 25 or 30 years but the the added elements of clark's health and um this sort of new status quo with this being the son of Mongol and all of his sons being killed. Like, it just seems mm-hmm. like there are some new ideas here in what can be a pretty one note character. Yes. And, and, and a sort of pretty easy to diagnose situation. Right. And it seems like this, this is, is not that at all. And that's really cool. And I also love the tease at the end of the issue with those people speaking Kryptonian. This, this is a fun issue. This is good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it, it, it almost feels... I mean, this is maybe taking it a step too far in the rhetoric, but um, it almost feels like like Johnson is kind of aiming to, to make Mongol almost like a dark side figure, you know, like, like, like almost pump him up to that level. Um, yeah. I, I just feel like... like <laughs> <laughs> for for good and bad, uh, I was getting some real Snyder cut Dark Side vibes from the scene <laughs> with the with his like minions and and whatever. Um, I don't know. It just it just occurred to me that 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 you know we've seen Mongol here and there over the last few years, and he's always kind of this one note thing. And yeah, like you said, it feels like a conscious effort to make him more than more than he's been in the past. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, do we have any thoughts on the Midnighter backup written by Becky Clunan and Michael Conrad and illustrated by Michael Avon Oming? Um, I'll let Walt go off on that. Cause I kind of said my piece on that and it hasn't really changed. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I think it's fine. It's, it's entertaining enough. Um, I, I also am not like a huge fan of Oming's art. Um, and again, to to draw perhaps like an unfair comparison, like it still like hangs over me w- with the future state one where it was it, going from Melnikov, who we'll be talking about later, to Oming was kind of, you know, I don't want to say a downgrade, but, you know, not what I really wanted from this. And I still feel he doesn't quite suit it. Again, that's partially I just don't like his art too much, but yeah, I mean, I don't dis I don't dislike uh, the backup, and I like backups in general, so it's fine. It's it's the sort of thing that while it's there, I will read it. Mm. Yeah, well uh, said. This, um, I mean, I, I I will I will am and always will be the. Um, Michael Avon Oming defender on the podcast. I like Oming's <laughs> art uh, quite a bit. I don't know if he's a great fit for this, but I think he's doing a fair job. I will agree with you, Walt, that that Gleb Melnikov issue was just you know Italian chef kiss emoji, and so, so it's it, it's a tough act to live up to. I think the bigger problem here is with these stories being you know the, the nature of a backup is that it's really short, and so you're you're stuck between this. You either have to trust the audience completely and not do any recap because you have no room for recap, 
or yes. if you don't trust the audience completely and you have to recap, then there's no room for actual story. And so yes. I feel like this is kind of trapped in between those two realities and there's not a ton here, but there's enough that you want more, but you can't have more because they have to remind you of why everything is this way. Right. And and it's a particular difficulty with, uh, you know, Western comics because a month when, especially when you're reading lots of superhero comics and like you're getting in the backups, you're getting like these little bite sized things. A month is a pretty, you know, long amount of time to like, you know, if you were just like reading a chapter of a book once a month, you know, you'd be like, wait, shit, what's going on? Um, and so, yeah, it's not an enviable position to be in. You don't have much space to kind of uh, get the story across while kind of hinting at and reminding the reader, trying to be as subtle as you can. It's not something like manga where, you know, you're getting something weekly so you don't have to de devote the space to that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do think I do think it handles that pretty well. Um, I, I think that it doesn't spend too much time in either direction like there's enough like kind of gentle like teasing at like oh remember that and remember that so that it's not actively expositing towards you but it's still like kind of like plucking at your uh, memory to kind of like get you to kind of like remember oh yeah this is what's going on here i think it handles that pretty well i'll also say what's interesting about this backup is that when this all started with with future state, you know, spinning into this, we felt like okay, well, you know, we know that Superman's going to be on War World, and that is why there's this uh, Midnighter backup. But now that we know there's going to be the Superman and the Authority series, it seems even more important and tied into the Superman line, which right. is a really interesting choice. I would not have picked Superman as the character to shepherd in the Authority, but I think it's really cool they're doing it that way. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that I think I can see the connection more with Midnight or an authority to Superman than I can like other like Grifter. Well, granted, that's Wildcats, but like talking about Wildstorm in general, right. like Grifter would be out of place in a Superman comic. Grifter's out of place anywhere. I was going to say um, some might say he's out of place in Batman Urban Legends right now, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but they there's. They connect slightly, I mean, partially because Apollo being a pastiche of Superman. Um, but even so, it, it feels a little more connected than, you know, some of the other Wildstorm folks might be. Sure, sure. Any other action thoughts, Vince, before we move on? Mm, I don't think so. All right, I'm going to go to you to take lead on this one first, Vince, because you love this first issue so much. But we're going to talk about Batman Superman number 17, written by Gene Lu and Yang, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Uh, there is an interview with Ivan Reyes up on Multiversity Comics right now, if you're hearing this. with uh, I got to talk to him about this issue a little bit, and uh, that was fun. But I'm more interested in what Vince thinks of this issue. So, Vince, take it away. Um, I, I still love this book. I think, um, as is usually the case with, with comics like this, the the trick of it has worn off by the by the second issue. Um, so this idea that, you know, the first issue had the the kind of two parallel stories running uh, in a film strip structure. Um, it was kind of a neat little visual trick to guide you through it. Th that has kind of converged 
Uh, although there is a little bit of that. There is a little bit of the going between worlds in a film strip uh, concept still. Um, but for the most part, this is more straightforward um, storytelling-wise. But um, plot-wise and, and kind of uh, Easter egg-wise or whatever you want to call it, this issue still contains the same stuff that I loved about that first issue, which is um, taking these elements of classic Superman tropes, classic Batman tropes, um, directly referencing like the old, uh, the, the old short films or whatever they were, um, and kind of turning them on their heads a little bit. Um, taking elements from one and putting them in the other and, and recontextualizing them. I love the stuff about Lois Lane being the spider lady in the other, uh, in the other world. And, and those, those kind of little, little tweaks that, that Jean Lu and Yang makes to the lore that ultimately is not going to matter because it's, it's, it's all non-canon and very, very much presented as, as that. Um, but it's just so much fun the way that it does that. And, and he does it so many times. And, and that trick never wears off, I think, because because even when you're looking for the next connection or whatever, um, you can't necessarily see it coming or or or, or guess exactly how it's all going to fit together. And um, and I, I, I love that. My favorite thing about DC Comics is, you know, that we have 80 going on 90 years of stories to pull from across all media and, and, and to see the way that like a comics historian, like, like Jean Lun Yang deals with that idea uh, is a delight to me. And it looks great too. I think, I think Ivan Reyes, again, like not as much of a, a visual uh, grab bag of tricks uh, this time around, but, but still just really solid comic booking as we've come to expect. So um yeah i'm I'm still up in this one yeah i i think that it's hard to to live up to the last issue because it was just so unexpected and it was so creative and you could read it multiple different ways you know you could read them the story simultaneously or read one and then the other it was it was just a very very interestingly put together package that i think contained a really good story but i know for me i was more concerned with the presentation last time than I was with the story and so with the presentation not as interesting this time you're sort of you got to pay more attention to what the actual you know comics about and I think that this story is still interesting I just don't know if any issue will ever necessarily fill this fill the same spot in my heart that that first one did just because of the unexpected and really clever nature of it um, but I did think this was good I think that Reyes is doing interesting work here. I don't think he his, I don't think he looks as, uh, I don't want to say stereotypically, Reyes. But I just feel like this is something a little bit new for him. I don't. Sometimes you see an artist, and as soon as you see the pages, you know exactly sort of what the next move's going to be because they're just doing what they do. And I feel like this is is Reyes going outside of his comfort zone a little bit, uh, not terribly, but enough to make it an interesting read. Uh, Walt, what say you? So this was the only one that we're covering this week that I did not read the previous issue for. Um, oh, and I didn't. Out, man. 
apparently you guys keep going on about how great the previous one was and you know i thought this one was fine um i, I there are definitely some neat things that uh that the creators both do um i i do feel like reyes seems slightly out of place here like i don't think he's like quite fun enough for it if that mm. makes sense mm -hmm. um granted uh, again it sounds like maybe i should uh check out that previous issue and maybe i changed my mind with yeah, uh, what you guys I, I do think i do think that first issue is a lot of fun there, he does a lot of these like tricks um with the paneling and 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 a lot of kind of big bombastic action that that kind of blows it up and um that maybe that's maybe that is uh something i'm bringing to this issue that that isn't necessarily here um so yeah maybe we're maybe we're looking at two halves of a of a story differently uh, that could when we be talk it. about this yeah but yeah sorry keep going well i mean i i don't want to sound like i didn't like it i did enjoy it it was fun uh, but it did kind of have that feel of like i didn't like it enough to either like go back to that previous issue unless you guys uh nag me enough about it um <laughs> say no or more con or continue on from this point you know it was, it was one of those things like you know when back when i was writing reviews for multiversity long long time ago when i just you know pick up something see how it is and be like that was fine and then you know not touch that series again um which seems like you know a, I, I don't want to disrespect uh Yang, I know that Yang has done a lot of a uh, great work. Um, may I may just be what I'm bringing myself to Reyes and my my like you know knowledge of Reyes. I I feel like someone with a little more levity could maybe make this pop a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think you're wrong about that. I think that. When this was announced, I, I couldn't believe that this was the pairing. It just seemed like a very, very strange pairing of of writer to artist. Um, but I think that first issue went a long way to convincing me of the pairing. And I think that that issue does this trick better than this issue does. So All right, all right. I'll go by the first issue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, another I, satisfied customer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to our third book of the week then. And that is detective comics number 1035 written by Mariko Tamaki illustrated by Dan Mora. Walt, you were higher on this than Vince or I were the first issue. So I'm interested to hear what you think of the second issue. Go for it. And I still am. I think this is quite good. I think that, I think that of the two books, you've got Batman, you've got Detective Comics. I think what Tynion and Jimenez are doing, you know, that's more fun, and it's maybe more exciting. But I think that uh, Tamaki and Mora are doing something more interesting. Like I, I feel like. Tamaki's kind of bypassing, kind of obliquely referencing the like tired thing that you hear all the time, especially if you're on Twitter, um, which we know Vince is which not. I'm, I'm not. Um, um, about let like, us you know, let us know whole... if this has made its way over to Farmers Only yet, Vince. 
Of so, course. Somehow I know what Walt's about to say, despite <laughs> about... my not having been on the bird side. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there's substantial crossover between the users of the two. You're just yeah. in the, the very slim outside of the Venn diagram. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole the whole thing about like, oh, you know, why doesn't Bruce, you know, use his money for good or whatever? And you know, there's a bazillion things we can say about why that's dumb um, and just not not so much like a a dumb question, but more a uninteresting question. Um, and I think Tamaki is, it is Tamaki, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tamaki is kind of oh, skirting that issue and getting into the, like the more question of like, what is like Gotham high society, Gotham upper class? What is that actually like? And and it's being done by somebody who actually seems to like read books and like know things, you know, the, there's such like a, there's usually now, now this is kind of me doing what we were talking about with the Batman Superman thing where I'm thinking more as we talk more about the previous issue than this one. Um, but I think that there's more, more intelligence and more like, you know, kind of understanding of what actual, real cities and actual you know upper class um moneyed elites are like in here then most of the time when you see this kind of topic uh tackled by people writing batman comics um i i think i think it's just a very interesting environment um in this particular issue you know is more like i think the previous one was kind of setting up that setting that this is what these are the kinds of people the kind of environment that bruce is going to be interacting with for this part of the run whereas this issue was i think like kind of getting more into the okay what's the batman aspect of it um and i and i think that i i, I don't know i just i just like it i think it's uh one of the more to to just keep overusing a word, one of the more interesting things you can do in a conventional Batman comic without, you know, reinventing the wheel and something that is like kind of like an actual subdued intelligence to it, as opposed to, you know, what if Batman's actually the reason for all the problems? What the, can you say that? I know, I know. It you won't believe what they let uh comic artists turn writers get away with these days. <laughs> uh, Vince, what do you think of this issue? <clears throat> so, uh, my story with this one kind of remains the same, although I do I do agree with what Walt says. This, this is a very subdued an intelligent uh, take on the subject. And I, and I, I thought that while reading it, like uh, while reading it, I thought this is a really subtle, almost too subtle for its audience, <laughs> to, you know? Um, but like, like when people talk about how detective comics should be the detective side of Batman and, and Batman should be the more bombastic, um, you know, secret 
cult of the black glove stuff, whatever, you know, um, the Tamaki is really going there with this. This is, this is like a shoe leather detective story for Bruce. If I've ever seen one, you know, um, to the point where it, it almost reminds me and this, this, I'm enjoying it, but I, I think I want it to go. I think I want it to go a little more towards the, towards the Batman stuff. And like having Huntress in here kind of helps with that, but that was so brief. Um, I, I think it's almost too subtle for me too, but I'm, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a big dum dumb also. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, what it reminded me most of, or what it, wh- who I, what I feel like it appeals to is the like true crime podcast genre or like <laughs> it reminded me of like uh the dark perry mason <laughs> reboot on hbo <laughs> like like i i'm reading it and i'm thinking like this is this is just a little too close to prestige tv or something to me now <laughs> and um and that doesn't mean it's not really quality work like i i see the intelligence that goes into it i see the subtlety and the care to get, as you said, Walt, like the world building or the city building, um, the bureaucracy of things, right? And I think that all feels very right. And when Bruce goes to a, a party, a, a gala event of the Money Elite, that feels very right to me, and it feels very appropriate. And like this is a perfectly legitimate Bruce Wayne slash Batman story. And yet, I I think I just want a little more of a twist to the weird somehow. And I think, I also think like the twist at the end that this, uh, Sarah worth character thought dead is back and apparently zombified is not enough then even still for me because zombies are passe. I was just going to say like, that's almost something you could have seen coming the whole way, you know, like, Oh, she, if you would have told me like, when this all started that she was actually going to reappear as like a a zombified or resurrected, like I'd be like, yeah, that's how these things go. Um, so it's, it's like, it's like hitting the mark of a really quality comic. And I love the way it looks. I love Dan Mora's Dan Mora is a great fit for that, that kind of, um, subtle, handsome prestige TV presentation. And yet, it's it's just it's just still not quite going far enough for me. Um, I don't know if that you makes also any sense. Lo- you also love it when the characters are more handsome than they've ever been before, and yeah. this, this is maybe the most <laughs> handsome Bruce Wayne we've gotten in a while. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. This is a very handsome Bruce. <laughs> yeah, everyone should be hot in comic books. I'm sorry, uh, Vince. This this is. I'm I'm only saving this for off air because Walt could not care less, nor could our listeners. Say true crime podcast movie script to me because I have an idea that you're gonna love. After the show? After the show, yes. True crime podcast movie script. Yes. Okay. I, I, I had an idea the other day. It's 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 too good to not share with you. And only you will care. Of everyone in my life, only you will care, buddy. But um, now the listeners feel they need to know. Trust me, no one's gonna care. I I, I can uh, Patreon content. Patreon. Yeah, yes, this is for ten dollars a month or more, Patreon members. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I, my notes for this are is actually very funny compared to what you guys just said. 
My one note is that it's taking the detective in the title seriously, which I think is always a good thing. I think I think that the two Batman titles should feel pretty different, or else why are you having two Batman titles and not just a double shipped Batman title? I think it's good when the Bat books have their own identity, and I think that this I think this is a really good status quo for Detective Comics to be, uh, both in terms of being more about Bruce Wayne as a person, not not in the way Walt was talking about before, but just like this is focused very much on sort of how Bruce fits into Gotham, and that's really good. And I think that making it more about detective work is always a good thing for Batman comics. So kudos on that. My other note is that I, I said too subtle for dumb Americans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I, I, I really do feel in a way like this is um, – there's a lot of nuance here, and I, I I wonder if the book will be well received by people who don't who aren't used to sort of thinking this much about a Batman comic. Um, I I don't love this yet, but I do see how maybe in a year I'm frothing at the mouth when someone puts this book down because I think it's so brilliant. And I think that there is there is a way that this turns into one of my favorite comics. I just think that right now it's a little bit slow for that. And it maybe is taking a little bit too much time to get to sort of what the overarching tone or theme of the book's going to be. Cause I think we, we do, we know some of the broad strokes, you know, this is, this is Bruce Wayne is a millionaire, but not a billionaire. And he's not in the back cave and all of that. But I still don't know really what the story of this book is yet. I think once we have a better idea of that, it will make everything go down a little bit smoother, at, le- at least for me. Uh, but Dan Mora's art is really impressive. Oh, so good. And I-, I think that Mora and Tamaki are a really interesting pair together. I think bringing Huntress in, like Vince said, is interesting. And there's something that happens at the very end of this issue Um no, I'm sorry. That's a, that's a backup that's a, in the backup. Yes. Um, well, we'll talk about the backup later. But there's there's something that happens. Um, is it in this issue? I had a note, and now I'm not seeing it in my notes. Where I feel like this issue felt like it was the most connected to the other bat books that we've seen thus far. Like th- this this book kind of feels like it's on an island right now compared to what the other books in Gotham are doing. But this one seemed, this issue seemed to hint a little bit more at something that maybe was slightly more interconnected. Um, and I'm scrolling through the issue now to try and figure out what that note was about, because there is definitely something in here. Um, oh, it, it, it was the idea, this is totally dumb, but uh, Bruce says that at the end something like about something being strange. And I wonder if that was a Hugo Strange reference. That was framed very, like, deliberately. Yes. Um, and so I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure if that was, if that was possibly a, uh, a, a callback or not a callback, but a reference to what's going on in, in Harley Quinn, but also across the Gotham books. Um, but yeah, uh, I am very much looking forward to seeing where this goes. All right, well, let's do this. Let's take a break. And when we return, we will talk about the last three issues of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. 
Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back to talk about Harley Quinn number two, written by Stephanie Phillips, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. Um, everyone should just pause the podcast for 10 seconds right here and just give your own praise of Riley Rosmo's art because we do that every week here. And uh, I'm sure you all have lovely things to say about his art as well because, goddamn, it's great to see Riley Rosmo on a monthly comic. Um, but let, let's talk about this, the story itself. Walt, did you read the first issue of this book? Yes, were you not paying attention to me in the first half, Brian? I said that Batman, Superman, or Superman, Batman, whichever it is, it's the only one I hadn't. Um, I, I forgot. I I apologize profusely. <laughs> um, what did you think of the first issue before we get into this one? I thought it was great. I thought this was great. Um, I, I think that Phillips, I, I, you know, I don't want to just like echo back your own, your guys' own points to you as much as i'm sure you love that well, um, correct so you, you, know, you are correct free. that i think that so far this is striking like a good balance of being both fun and amusing and also like being like a, an interesting story um you know of course of course the character that everybody brings up now when we're talking about harley quinn is how you know dc has been trying to make her their deadpool whatever um to draw the comparison is like okay that Maybe that's so, but the problem is that the time when the character, when Deadpool like first kind of like started becoming like, you know, a kind of cult hit um, was particularly during the time of uh, Nicieza's uh, Cable and Deadpool. And before that, uh, the the uh, Joe Kelly, I think it was Christopher Priest and Gail Simone on the on the original ongoing where it was like a blend. It wasn't all just like, you know, comedic yuck yucks and all that. There, there was uh, probably only one chimichangas per page as opposed to seven. Like you got it's at one point where yeah, everything was a besides it being like the driving point of the plot. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and I think that in trying to do this with Harley Quinn, they've kind of accelerated past that point in a lot of stuff. Um, and I think that Phillips is finding a much better balance that this is a this is a serious and an interesting story with funny bits and uh, you know a an amusing main character um, and comedy that isn't like that doesn't detract from like this is actually like a kind of neat superhero story you know dealing with again kind of what we what I was talking about with Batman where like you know the idea of rehabilitation um and all that is like one of those things that people talk about like oh well you know there's not enough of that in you know these kind of like vigilante comics or whatever but phillips is taking that seriously you know there might be jokes about it but that is like kind of the core theme of uh what she's getting at and i think it's it's done in like i said it's it's a perfect balance um th this is just really good i think i i was 
um, mainly looking forward to it based on Rossmo's art. But I think you know this isn't this isn't going to be a case where I'm going to be like completely crestfallen when inevitably there's like a villain artist a little bit, but not completely. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I I also think that this issue does a really nice job of um, establishing Kevin as her sort of sidekick, the uh, the former Joker gang member, the clown, as they call him, uh, mm -hmm. throughout this issue. I think that the character doesn't feel uh, false. It feels like a guy, when they show him sort of as part of the Joker gang, you can see how he was somebody who was probably a little bit weak-willed, who got caught up in things, but maybe isn't a truly bad person. And I feel like that's that sort of subtlety in a Harley Quinn comic, you don't really expect it because usually she's just the vehicle for delivering jokes about everything that surrounds her. But the comic doesn't treat Kevin as a joke. Like it treats right. him as, as somebody who has really been through some shit. And there is, like you said, Walt, there's funny stuff around that, but it, it never diminishes his experience. And I really like that. I thought this was a very, very good issue. Um, Vincey, what'd you think? Yeah, I, I don't have too much more to add um, to what you guys said. I, I, I totally agree. I guess the one thing I will say is that uh, what I really appreciate is that Phillips found a way to, um, with the idea of rehabilitation, um, you know, whether it's explicitly or implicitly, like drawing on uh, Harley's history as a, psychiatrist like that is something that in the comics usually those aspects of harley are kind of cordoned off right there was the fact that she was a, a arkham psychiatrist for however many years and then she became harley quinn and they don't really other than in retellings of her origin or you know three different black label books um <laughs> they don't really revisit that idea in any meaningful way. And I feel like if this is an opportunity to use a character who's very much in the guise of Harley Quinn, but also draw upon what makes her um, a human character too, uh, that that's a really uh, intelligent kind of stroke of work there by, by Stephanie Phillips. So um, yeah, I, I really, I really appreciate kind of showing all sides of Harley in this, in that way. So yeah, great. It's, it's continues to be great. The Hugo strange bit is, is really, um, fascinating to me because that's a bat villain that is not sort of your, in your top or maybe even middle tier of sort of, um, either as, as a fan favorite or as a really recognizable villain. But one that, you know, the real Batman heads tend to be a pretty big fan of. And I feel like it's it's just he's just known enough that if he was appointed to a role in Gotham, people would know who he was. But it's not the same level of horror that like if the Riddler was the mayor. Right. Like there's there's, sure. there's, there's a certain like detachment there. Like, oh, I know who that guy is, but he's, you know, I, I believe his apology or whatever. And I thought that the the apology bit was really good because, uh, as we all know, Americans love a second act. We love when someone apologizes, and oh yeah, and, and you know tries to make good. So that felt very, very timely. It's just it's a good use of the character. Anyway, let's move over to the last Bat book. I guess not. I guess both 
the next two books each have bat elements. But uh, let's move over to Robin number one, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Gleb Melnikoff. Um, I cannot believe how much I am enjoying this uh, Damian Wayne story that started in the backups a few weeks ago, and now is moving into this uh, this story. I, I think like Damian Wayne goes to a, a fighting tournament. Sounds like exactly the type of Damian Wayne story I don't want to read, but this has been really, really masterfully handled so far. I think this issue, we'll talk about the art in a little while. There are some things that Melnikov does in this issue that are bonkers and wonderful. The story, even though it's a dark story, feels really fun still. And right. there is a really fun cliffhanger at the end of this issue <laughs> where, spoiler alert, Damien gets his heart ripped out. <laughs> right. Uh, just just furthering that this is Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and that is not a complaint, you know. Yeah. But, like, yeah, that is, like, you know, just a complete blatant that the, this whole, like, plot angle is, like, you know, the plot of Mortal Kombat pretty much. Plus, yeah, having his heart ripped out. This is just Mortal Kombat. Williamson knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And we know what he's doing. And it's great. <laughs> yeah. This was such a fun first issue. Oh, yeah. The My only... I think probably the only thing I could like say about it negatively is... I mean, I guess you could probably just read it without having read those like two backups it'd probably be fine um it would be tough in certain parts yeah yeah i would say so um and so i don't i don't like when that happens like you know the the number one i know that it's like an ideal that it ne- that has just been like completely left behind in modern comics publishing but it really should just be like you should be able to start here um, without being told, well, you know, actually you need to read this, that, and the other first. Um, and I think that something that would soften it is like what they did with Teen Titans Academy, where they had the future state ones released in like, you know, a, a kind of compilation issue. If like the same week they like had, you know, like a number zero or something like that. Sure. Um, that combined those. Now, granted, that would wouldn't be too many pages, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I I think that my my sort of uh, retort to that would be that when this is collected, no doubt that's what's going to start the collection. Right? Oh, absolutely, of course. Um, and there's nothing in this issue that I think you'd be totally confused by. I think all of it is more or less explained, but it, the context is certainly better, especially for stuff like, um. The Connor Hawk reveal, like yes, we, we see Connor Hawk mentioned here, but you probably don't necessarily. I mean, certain people didn't get that reference when it happened in the original issue. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but you know, so some of that stuff would be better explained here. But I do think that this is a very, very fun way. I, I think it's fun when an issue starts, when a when a series starts rather, with just not worrying too much about holding the hand of the audience. And so sure. in a way this feels refreshing because it, it doesn't make sure you know every single detail going in. Vince, what do you think? I 
Loved this. I think. Would you let me um, review this for Weekly Shonen Jump? On <laughs> uh, no, I, well, here's the deal. I'm supposed to write my Shonen review tomorrow. If you want to review this instead of my Shonen review for Wednesday, go right ahead, bud. Oh goodness, no. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm repeating myself here, but you know, Zach and I talk on the show all the time about how. Uh, American comics, American superhero comics, Marvel and DC, they, they should start cribbing from um, manga, from shonen manga specifically, in, you know, structure, publishing, uh, publishing strategy, you know, everything. Because, because manga does comics uh, the best, at least right now. And... Um, this is so obviously Joshua Williamson's love letter to manga that he has Damian Wayne reading a manga, <laughs> which is that's kind of like the the most overt and cheesy way to 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 tip your cap to something that you can kind of do. It's like having the characters in a um, you know really artsy fartsy film in uh, 2020 watching like a Fellini film in the movie, right? Um, but I, I'm charmed by it nonetheless. Also, Melnikov um, does a note-perfect Unbelievable style. flex. Like, it's... Just an unbelievable flex. <laughs> yeah, like he, he, could get a, he could get a job uh, <laughs> illustrating in Weekly Shonen Jump and it would look He'd fantastic. have to go by Akira Yoshida or something. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, yeah. But like, it's uh, it's one thing. Like, I agree, Vince. That's a little bit on the nose to have that in this issue. But when it's if you're gonna do it, you do it like this, right? I oh, mean, they nail, they nail it. I'm not I'm not really criticizing it. I'm just kind of being tongue in cheek, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, be, and also, you know, the, yes, that is the most overt reference uh, to to indicate what he's going for. But I have to say, like. He gets a lot of the subtle details right too, because like the first guy Damien fights, the King Snake, mm -hmm. that is like from design to the way that he talks, like the taunting. It's exactly like every like bottom tier anime jobber. It's 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 like the first guy that Goku fights in the first round of any tournament he's in. It's like a perfect example of that, you know, just some just some like nameless uh, jobber punching way above his weight class. Right. Um, the stuff like the island that they're fighting on, I, I can't remember if the island is shaped like a skull or if there's like a, a rock formation or a castle or something that's shaped like a skull. I'm picturing just something is shaped like a skull, <laughs> which like. That's all I need to know. Like when I was when I was, you know, eight years old, nine years old, I'm playing with all my action figures. My the Power Rangers are fighting in a tournament with uh you know, the Ninja Turtles, and they're doing it all at Castle Grayskull for some reason. <laughs> you know, like this is just this is just like shonen manga, uh like little kid loves corporate comics, uh just wish fulfillment. Right? right. And 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 I feel like, you know, what 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 should these comics be going for other than that? Right. <laughs> like, sure. If you're, if you're going to do a Robin comic and you're going to have like a, a a fighting tournament or whatever, just just do it as 
kind of silly and tropey as you can do it. I completely forgot that King Snake was Bane's dad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really weird. That's really <laughs> weird. So it, wasn't, it wasn't too long ago that I read, uh, I think it's one of the first Dixon uh, Robin mini series that King Snake first appears in. I so, don't know. I, I, I haven't read those Chuck Dixon Robin comics since the actual 90s. <laughs> so I couldn't tell you. But yeah, I mean, I, I also really like the supporting cast that's being built up around this. I, I think having Rose Wilson is a, a, a really nice touch here. I think we're going to see Slade at some point in this book, probably just knowing that the, the history between Slade and Damien, especially because in priest Deathstroke run, you never quite find out if Bruce is actually Damien's father or if it's Slade. Um, I, I mean, we all presume it's, it's Bruce, but priest left that very ambiguous on purpose, I think. And so I like it's Ben Affleck, Slade Wilson. <laughs> we established this. Well, yes, because as everyone knows, in the Snyderverse, Bruce Wayne is dead, and Slade Wilson has taken his his persona on. So, right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Is that the same theory that uh, with with when the the V and Batman v Superman was for five because it counted, um, it, it counted the, the 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 Nolan trilogy, right? Isn't that where those first three came from? I believe. Yes, because yep. <laughs> that Bruce Wayne was dead, which is why we needed Slade Wilson. <laughs> oh, I love this. What the hell? You don't you don't know about this one? I have, I haven't heard this one. Oh yeah, but... it was it was that it was Batman. We'll get you some Reddit links. It was yeah. Batman oh, Five Superman thanks. was the real name of the movie, and that was going to be revealed like when you watch the movie, and that <laughs> it was going to be revealed that these were all direct sequels to the Nolan trilogy. Because Bruce is dead and Slade Wilson has taken his uh, his place. Which sure. Cool. It's somewhat undone by Justice League, where you see Slade Wilson, but you know we can we can we can agree to disagree about that. So, um, I mean, I know we already sort of slobbed on his knob a little bit, but Gleb just does incredible work here, especially because he's also coloring the book. And Unbelievable. So, I mean, just the. The level of detail, and I, I don't mean detail like necessarily like draftsman, you know, like making sure, sure every every panel is perfectly crosshatched or whatever, but just there is such a distinct color palette for different scenes that fits. It's just it, it's so copacetic to the pencils that we're getting here. The book just looks absolutely kinetic and frantic and gorgeous and I love everything about the way this book visually looks I love how I love how dumb this book is like Lazarus Island is a ridiculous name for the place for this to take place I love that I love right. I, I, I just love how, how much Williamson and Melnikov are going for it here and they're not afraid to look silly and to go over the top this is the type of book we've needed from a Robin title since Damian Wayne became Robin. It just, it's just, it's so perfect. I, I, I'm absolutely infatuated with this issue and I cannot wait to read more of it. Anyone have anything mm -hmm. else to add to this? 
No, no I, th- I think you about covered it. No, just e- even if even if it wasn't like written great, it would be worth just for uh, Milnikov's art. But it's tons of fun too, just in terms of uh, writing. Um, you know, I, I keep bringing up Mortal Kombat, but you know, like it's it's not just like on the on the like you know levels of the plot and everything but also in that same kind of like you know it's deliberately kind of stupid and you know we're we're invoking you know shonen manga and all that but it's at the same time it's like doing it through through like you know a kind of like a clouded glass you know again like mortal Kombat, how it like you know derives it, it derives all this uh you know very like asian inspired and and whether that's we're talking like wuxia or manga but not really doing it correctly this is kind of going for that same kind of angle that this is still you know there there is some there's certainly like you know the shonen manga influence as seen by you know the there there's uh damien reading manga and all that but at the same time it's not like a straight up aping of it it's kind of like a distorted view of it and yeah. I think that it's going to be just tons of fun. Yes, uh, and once Connor Hawk is a bigger part of the book, and once Rose Wilson, I, I think, I think this is also a very clever play by Williamson to have a number of legacy characters in this. I mean, mm-hmm. even King Snake is on the other side of a legacy character, right? Like to a certain degree, as as Bane's father. Mm-hmm. And there's just there's just yeah. lo- there, there's just a lot in here of sort of classic DC and as all of our listeners know that is that is catnip for me. So uh, I very much enjoyed this. Speaking of things I very much enjoy, Teen Titans Academy number 2 written by Tim Sheridan, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval. Walt, the last book of the week, we're going to let you start this off. What do you think of this issue? So I've been I've been uh just in these past couple of days, I've been watching some uh, on cinema at the cinema. And I feel like this this episode, I feel like I've been like, you know, oh, this is like, you know, a five bagger. You know, just I, co- I coincidentally came on an episode where, yeah, pretty much everything I liked. Um, and, you know, I just feel like I don't for a lot of these, I don't have much more to say than that. You know, unfortunately, I am one of those people who does kind of a. Uh, revel in ripping into things but i got nothing really to rip into this week um no i I hired (laughs) (laughs) i i I like this uh quite a bit i'd say i'd say that of everything this week i did maybe it's like probably the only thing i'd put below it was the batman superman um so i i wouldn't say i loved it quite as much as some of the other books this week uh but but it was it was fun. It's a it's a neat dynamic uh, with this team. Um, I do think perhaps one flaw that we're getting from the outset, you know, two issues in, is I do think that we're getting too much of the legacy titans. Like uh, the the I mean, okay, that's big. Too much of the uh, like the Wolfman Perez Wolfman titans. Perez, uh, yeah titans we're getting a little bit too much of them not quite enough of the new folks yet um 
which I think is a mistake this early on. I think we need to get more and more of the new characters first. Um, that's really my only complaint about it, though. Um, I, I think that the Red X thing is doing is being handled in an interesting way, um, you know, kind of doing, you know, the old like, you know, retroactive continuity of, you know, kind of uh, invoking it and making it as if it was always a thing in D.C., uh, comics themselves, not just the uh, TV show, um, and doing it in a way that's also not super obtrusive. Like, you know, sometimes when these kind of things are done, you get like a feel of like, oh, they're really like signaling that, okay, this is something new that we're doing. But I think that Sheridan's handling it in a way where it, it feels like this is actually something that happened in the context of the story while at the same time not sometimes you can go too far in that direction and you know make it feel like you're missing out on something when you're really not um i i think that again it's a it's a well-struck balance there uh when it comes to the red act red x uh storyline um I'm, I'm not head over heels with the book to the same degree as you sound brian um but I, but I do enjoy it. Well, I, let me say, first of all, I, I do agree with your criticism of too much of the new Teen Titans. Not new as in new, but from the new, the Wolfman Perez ones. Yes. Um, I, I think that there there is probably a, a hint too much of that here. I wonder how much of that is is to sort of get the like I think I think one of the one of the brilliant things of the first issue was that it threw a lot of new characters at us and gave us a lot of moments to revel in oh look at these we have the bat pack we have you know all the it just sort of taking us through this entire new class I wonder if this is an attempt to give a better understanding of how the school works like in how and just mm. just to sort of establish certain things about the way the book's going to be structured going forward but i did find myself missing the new characters quite a bit here and also if not even the new characters like we don't even get a ton with the characters like last time there was a nice sequence where um oh vince what's dial h's name the new dial h kid miguel um Miguel, um, <clears throat> well, regard where, where Miguel and yeah. Billy Batson were talking. Like we we got we got a nice oh. moment of that last time, right? And I feel like there's just the, the only characters we spend any real time with that aren't the um the sort of the legacy characters or again the the, the Wolf and Perez. <laughs> we can't say this. The oh, the teachers besides the teachers. Uh, there we go. Yes, of course. Uh, the only one was Bolt, the new speedster. We yeah. spent a little bit of time. There and, and and with the kid who's um Matt Price who's playing that not chess game, those are pretty yeah. much the only two. And I think that one of the things that this the first issue did was it gave us a hint that that new character Brick maybe was going to be Red X because of a couple of things that happened. And I feel like this is establishing both Bolt and Matt Price as um as potential uh red x's as well i think that sheridan is trying to give us some some ideas as to who that character might be without being too heavy-handed about it just yet 
but sure. I, I agree that I could have used more with the uh, with the newer characters here, and I hope that this is a temporary setback in that in that place. the The reveal at the end of the issue about the Suicide Squad, which is something that was actually hinted at in the last issue of Suicide Squad, um, I don't love that coming into here. But yeah, I, me neither. But that is tempered slightly by just my love of a good shared universe and how both this and Suicide Squad a little bit felt like they were happening in a world where some of the other books maybe aren't happening as much. So connecting them does that, as does Dick talking about Bloodhaven more in this issue. That helps to somewhat um, connect this to to the Nightwing solo series. Um, Vince, what did you think of this issue? Yeah, I, I think uh, from the sounds of it, I probably fall between you and Walt on this one. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't immediately love it the way that I loved the first issue of this, but I think it's very good. I think it's, um, it 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 continues to demonstrate the general vibe that the that I think the book is going to offer us, and 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 if that if it stays on this uh, sort of. Uh, wavelength as far as vibe goes i'm i'm here for you know however long of a hangout uh dc wants to do with this team and these characters and and i i just dig you know the, the things i like most about it are you know anything other than to do with the, the main plot going forward actually i just love cyborg hanging around uh being a good mentor being a good friend um I, I think I think he shows up pretty well in this issue. Um, I think one thing that I really appreciate about the comic visually, um, I, I like R- Rafa Sandoval's art well enough. Um, but I think one aspect of it that I never noticed before, and maybe it hasn't been employed until now, is kind of how well he stages everything. And in this uh, comic so far, it's to a good comedic effect. So, like, the scene of Dick uh, taking that emergency hose down the, the center of the staircase, mm-hmm. and then it's too long, you know, so he Bolt has to run down there and catch him because the ho- Like, that whole thing is just a great bit of visual comedy. And the way that it's staged, it's... I don't know. Sandoval's art is very, like, static but not i not in the way where like when you when you criticize like a like an overly posed artist like an Ethan Van Skyver yeah yeah when you say like oh the, their art looks posed and static no it's static in like a Wes Anderson movie type way where like mm. um you know dick is falling down this series of panels through the middle of the page and then like characters are maybe stationed on either side of him reacting or whatever and it really feels like an anderson thing where you're the focus of the frame is on you know the subject but then there's all this stuff going on in the periphery that you may or may not notice if you're focused in on it or not and it really works it really works in a comedic way but when it's not trying to be funny it also just works to kind of fill the pages with life you know brian you had mentioned something in the first uh with the first issue of this about how there were things happening in the background that would later come to the foreground and, and they would give s- scenes new context. 
that same thing happens in the, I don't think to as great a degree in this second issue, but there's just so much life happening in the corners of these panels. While it's still very like deliberately posed and stationary in a, in a aesthetically pleasing way. It's really interesting to look at. Um, and I found myself appreciating that a lot more in the second issue. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's an interesting point because that was one of the other things I wanted to say about, a and to say about Sandoval in particular, uh, the scene in that regard that stuck out to me was the, the, the fire hose one. Yes. Uh, but also there's a scene where it's one of those ones that people like, you know, mock a lot on comics, Twitter, myself included from time to time. But sometimes you do just have to ha have a page where it's two people talking to each other in a hallway. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this page where Dick and um, Vic are speaking. And in a way, it's it's kind of it's almost like an inverse framing device in that they are talking, they are having a conversation, and they are on other sides of a door to uh, one of the classrooms where just, you know, just all sorts of mayhem and comic mischief uh, is happening as they're just having this conversation as they frame the door. And so it's a way to keep that stuff that sometimes, just for whatever reason, like, you know, you find that, okay, this is just the best way to get this information across I need just a couple people talking for a page, but you still got to make that visually interesting. And I think Sandoval does a great uh, job at that point. Um, I, I'm sure, of course, some of that was, if not all, that was, you know, scripted. Um, but there, the execution is uh, very admirable. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great scene because you see Beast Boy in the background essentially turning into different animals and the the uh new, the new recruits are trying to uh basically stop him and then Cyborg comes in and tells him exactly how to do it essentially. Hit him in the nuts. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More or less, yes. Um so yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a fun issue. And I also think that one of the bits of good news about this is that this week it was announced that Sheridan is going to be doing a Shazam miniseries starting this summer that will spin out of this. And so I think that while there is a lot of stuff going on in this book, that allows him to maybe not focus so much on Billy Batson and focus on other things here while taking that story elsewhere. I hope this is the first of a series of minis that we get from these characters. I think there are so many interesting characters in this book. Yeah. And, and there's a, there's a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty far reaching tradition of like teen Titans spinoffs for characters that spinoff minis, uh, for characters that otherwise might not support an ongoing. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that happen with uh, multiple characters from this one. Yeah, it's, it's just nice to see. I feel like the teen. I've said this in the show a thousand times, like as the Teen Titans goes, DC goes a lot of times when the Titans yeah. are good. Everything tends to feel right in the DC universe. And this feels really good. Um, So, Walt, before we let you go, I just I'm curious about your general overall Infinite Frontier thoughts. I, you know, I'm. I'm very pleased with how things are going so far you know this is granted we are 
a month and a half in, um, not even a half. Um, but this is like the most that I've been following at DC at once in quite a while, quite a while. Um, and, you know, I, th I think that, you know, we, we talk a lot about how that there's kind of like a, a baseline when it comes to superhero comics of like, you know, there, there's kind of like a standard level where most of the books that DC or Marvel is putting out, you know, there'll be some a little bit above some a little bit below, but most of the stuff that kind of, uh, fills out the shelf, you know, kind of falls in a similar range of quality. And right now it seems that that similar range is pretty dang high for DC right now. Um, we'll see if they can keep that momentum going, but I'm I'm very ple pleasantly uh, surprised with how much I am reading right now. It's been quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of that is also I'm sure that the line has been cold a little bit, so there's yes. not as much to read. But I also think that while that's true, I can't think of too many characters that I feel like we should be seeing that we're not right now. But DC's done a yeah. good job of, of making the line feel feel pretty uh, full of the characters we want to see. And with things like, you know, we have the Blue and Gold series coming out in a few months as well. We have Josh Williamson's Infinite Frontier uh, miniseries. We have, you know, just there are going to be more places for these characters to shine. And so that's good. It's it's overall, I think it's very strong as well. Well, um, Walt, where can folks find you on the internet if they want to uh, follow you? Tell them about your podcast, your Twitter, etc. Sure, you can uh, find me on Twitter at goodbye to a shoe. I also do another podcast for Multiversity, the Multiversity Manga Club. Uh, we usually have two episodes a month. One where we're looking in at the previous month in various Shonen Jump titles that we sometimes skew that month or so, depending on, you know, what's been popping off lately and what hasn't been. Um, and then in the middle of the month, we typically do a what we call our One Piece Club, uh, where we are recapping One Piece um, that our good friend and regular host of this show, uh, Zach Wilkerson, is that that's where he uh usually comes in uh though next time we do that we're going to be taking a little break as he is off on parental leave and so instead emily and i will be watching the one piece movie strong world which is i think the only one that uh oda wrote the story for um if i'm not mistaken is is that any sort of continuity is it in any sort of continuity or no and not really it, okay. it it doesn't uh my understanding is it doesn't like you know contradict anything that like comes before or after but it doesn't like get referenced any further either mm -hmm. just a fun little diversion he wrote cool uh you can find two-thirds of the regular co-hosts on the show on twitter i am at brian needs an app zach is at wilker fox if you need to find vince he is um... on Lazarus Island. Sure. Yes. Thanks, Walt. <laughs> yeah. Let, let Walt have this one. I, I will. He's on Lazarus having Island. His, having his heart torn out by 
goth GF. <laughs> oh, God, if only. <laughs> well, th- that is also foreshadowing his heart being torn out by the Green Bay Packers this Thursday as part of the NFL draft. So, God willing. Yes. Aww. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks, Walt, for coming by. And, Absolutely. Uh, talk to you next week. Bye. Now, white people, they laugh like this. <laughs> That's the stinger. That's the stinger. <laughs>